following presentation by Taylor Fragon Capital Management LLC is intended for general information purposes only. No portion of the presentation serves as the receipt of or as a substitute for personalized investment advice from Taylor Fragon or any other investment professional of your choosing. Please see additional important disclosure at the end of this presentation. A copy of Taylor Fragon's current written disclosure brochure discussing our advisory services and fees is available upon request or at www.taylorfragon.com. Welcome to the Long Only Podcast. I'm Doug. I'm Jerry. Jerry, I'm not going to ask how you're doing today because we both have colds. Yes, it's it's probably more it's probably more evident with me than you, but hopefully I don't sneeze and cough and whatever. Both of us are trying to tough it out because it's different rooms and the microphone apparently doesn't get sick, so yeah, well, and we're at work. It's not that as far as colds go, it's not that bad. It's just annoying. No, I feel fine. It's annoying. Yeah, so annoying. I'm just hoping this resets. As I said yesterday at lunch, I'm just kind of hoping this resets the button so after we're getting sick for another, you know, three six months, something like that. Well, I was doing antibodies. Yep, exactly. Well, today we're going to start with something ripped straight from the headlines. We talked about it before we before we made the migration to video. This is a uh, probably a little known case for most Americans, but it's now drifting up into it's drifted up into the Supreme Court, and this has been on the on the horizon for a while. But the Supreme Court finally is making some movements movements on a doctrine known as the Chevron deference, and this has big impacts for business and governance. So, Jerry, what's going on? What is the Chevron deference? So this goes back to a 1983 case, um, Chevron, the Natural Resources Defense Council, which, if you so you recall at the time it was Reagan era. Um, <clears throat> at the time, uh, this particular group, Natural Resources Defense Council, was trying to push for more. Uh, I guess you'd say stringent, um, you know, regulation of the of of what was considered to be polluters at the time, Chevron, I guess, being one of them. And uh, with, you know, get, without getting into the great details of jurisprudence on this particular case, it, what it did was it gave it, the, the court sided with the National Resource Defense Council in this case, and it gave more, uh, shall we say, power to the administrative state. It, so it wasn't just in this case, the EPA would have been the, the what would we say, have the jurisdiction in over environmental matters as it relates to Chevron. Um, but this case is, was used then over the ensuing, now where are we, 40 plus years, 40 years. Uh, no, yeah, 40 years, got my math right. Um, it's been used over and over again to argue for why the administrative state has the ability to make rules, if you will, because the case, I think the simplest way to explain it allowed for what, what, in fact, I think the terminology was even reasonable, quote unquote, um, leeway for whatever better word, there's probably a better word, uh, uh, for the, the bureaucratic state to, or for, for, for administrative agencies to have, to have reasonable uh, jurisdiction over making rules. Well, therein lies the problem. They've taken that term reasonable and they've run it into you know, 40 years later, 
um, where I would argue Congress in many cases are absolutely abdicating the responsibility of making rules and laws even. And, and they've turned it over so much to the administrative state that the administrative, administrative state has run amok. Well, there's now a case before the Supreme Court that is trying to undo that and say, no, wait a minute, you know, laws and you know, rules and what have you are, are needed to be put in place by legislatures, by, by, the, by Congress. So it's, this is a classic case of you open the door a little bit in, in probably what at the time was considered to be a reasonable decision um, that, ha- that over the course of 40 years is part of the reason why we have such an, a, an incredible amount of bureaucratic creep. It's, it's, not, it's not bureaucratic, bureaucratic creep anymore. It's, a, it's, it's bureaucratic uh, tsunami. Um, you know, the bureaucratic state has grown so large and this is, you know, we've talked about this over and over again, and it's why we, we get so, you know, animated about the growth of government and the size of government. We're witnessing with what's happened with, with bureaucracies and and the administrative state, um, you know, putting regulations that are just so onerous, especially affecting small business that we look to a case like this and, and I'm trying to recall the name of the case that's well it doesn't matter it's 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 called the chevron deference case now well that was that by the way was the the uh isn't name, it the national pre- resources defense council versus chevron that was the chevron deference case so now what the case is i can't remember the oh term. this current case sorry who 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 versus who on this particular one um that's before the supreme court and and from arguments in the case uh it sounds like the, the 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 Supreme Court is leaning towards overturning this Chevron deference case, and uh, which will have significant implications for. Um, oh yeah, it's the fishing industry. Um, the fishing industry, you know, I, I believe is the one that's at, at 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 issue with this particular your case that's outstanding. But anyway, it's 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 almost irrelevant. What's more important is the actual. You know what it sets as precedence, or what it over, it, what it undoes, 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 does, undoes, um, with respect to uh, you know this, the, the, how much regulation, and we've talked about you know when you go back to uh, you know the eight thousand to four thousand problem, the you know number of public companies that we've shrunk to in, in the last twenty some odd years, you know we believe that's very significantly tied to. You know regulations like um, Sarbanes-Oxley. Um, you know even even uh, the Nasdaq settlement that took place uh, um, over Nasdaq the spreads in Nasdaq securities and who you know how much market makers make on 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 making markets in, in small Nasdaq traded securities to Dodd Frank to you know the alphabet soup I, I I would say of of various you know regulatory regimes that have come into place. <clears throat> Almost always in the wake of, <coughs> excuse me, um, in the wake of some crisis, it's an attempt to always, you know, solve problems that um, are, are, are avoid. We'll never have this happen again. You know, and it ends up create opening up Pandora's box, and the next thing you know, you've got the law of unintended consequences. Forty years later, and we've let the administrative state run them up. So, as as Believers in free enterprise and, and, and promoters of small business and being a small business ourselves, we're, we're very much uh, looking forward. Now, uh, looking forward to possibly getting this overdone, overruled. 
Now, of course, the other side is, oh, my gosh, you know, you're going to have massive pollution and the rivers are going to be dirty and the ocean is going to be a mess and the air horrible. Um, oh, pardon me. Who wants to breathe bad air? Okay? Where's the mute button? <laughs> What's that? Where's the mute button? I just sneezed. Sorry. Excuse me. <laughs> Excuse you. Anyway, um, yeah, so that's a that's one to keep an eye on. So I would add a few things to this. Number one, uh, Justice uh, Jackson recused herself from the case uh, because she was involved. Uh, she was on a three-judge panel on the D.C. Circuit that heard um, arguments on a related case. Well, but good. she... She has raised concerns that ending the Chevron deference would give the courts too much power and lead judges to engage in policymaking. Wow, it sounds like a very unusual uh, criticism coming from her side of the political aisle. Exactly. Uh, and also, I would say that, look, I, I, I was eight in 1983. I know that probably every uh, claim that the Reagan administration made uh, in the name of the EPA might not have made sense and been wise stewardship of our resources. I'm not going to stand behind every decision they made, but I would also say that even more current iterations of the EPA have not demonstrated a lot of competence. Uh, we've got a case where this, this impacted a family member of mine very directly, but in 2015 in Colorado, the EPA released a, a bunch of, of toxic waste into the Animas river and uh, with a Gold King mine disaster, that was just a, a complete fiasco. And then you have the the case of John Beale, who was the EPA agent who uh, claimed to be a CIA spy and defrauded the government out of about nine hundred thousand uh, dollars. So I mean, the EPA, and obviously these are anecdotal, but the EPA is is part and parcel a, a classic example of a, a government agency that just has given too much power. And these, this is the administration, administrative state that Trump was largely elected the first time to try to dismantle and was largely unsuccessful in doing so. So. Well, and I think it's, you know, uh, it, I, I noticed it interestingly, Paul Clement is the lawyer that's arguing for the fishing industry, the herring, herring fishermen. Um, I think his quotes are, are, are worthwhile. Um, He's basically saying that, you know, the current system means that Congress has never, never has to weigh in and reach a compromise on the toughest policy questions because one side or the other can just wait for a change in the executive branch every four or eight years. And the rules will swing back and forth based on the views of the political party in power. That gets to my point of Congress has abdicated responsibility for making laws. Um, you know, they have to do the, the, that's what Congress is supposed to do. They're supposed to debate. They're supposed to, you know, you know, put forth, you know, potential uh, laws, possible laws, debate them, come to a conclusion, vote on them. And then that's it. And, you know, we, he's, he's hitting the nail on the head here. And I think, frankly, this should, this should go beyond politics. Either side should be frustrated with this because, you know, we have a system in place where these issues get solved and laws are made based on compromise and, and, you know, give and take and, and, and the debate that goes on in Congress. Unfortunately, you know, Congress has, has given up debating. I think I, I really do. I think, it, it, you know, let's put forth this, this 
idea in the form of a law and let's debate on it on both sides and let's just you know see where where we come to a you know a conclusion in our vote um the politics will still obviously come into it whoever controls my you know may well win that particular argument depending on which side they come down on but <clears throat> that's what the system is supposed to do it's not supposed to be a bunch of unelected bureaucrats making rules that are like you know mr clement is cl- is claiming is is flowing back and forth every four to eight years based on who's who's running that bureaucratic bureaucratic state. So I think, you know, regardless of which side of the political spectrum you come on, you shouldn't like that. That shouldn't be, you know, elections determine, you know, what the people want. And then the people's representatives go battle out what they're going to make laws. And then that's it. And then the, the administrative state should be nothing more than just carrying out what the laws are that the, that the Congress passes. I mean, is there anybody that really thinks that's controversial? If there, if yes, I know there are. And, and, and that's part of the problem we have today for sure. Um, that's why things can be con- construed as being a real mess, but that's what our country is. That's, that's what it was, is, is, was built on. That's what's made it great. We better start paying attention to these kinds of things. And this, this case is, is potentially a huge, uh, you know, step in the right direction. I think as, as Clement says, I can't think of a better way to mark the 40th anniversary of the Chevron decision than with an overruling. In our view, this has really gotten out of control. And that's the point. It's not that, you know, one side or the other will say, Oh, and in this case, the it's the left that's against this. And I'm not sure what that says about the left. Cause I do think this should be politically agnostic. Um, they obviously have gotten, um, quite good at using the administrative state to their, to their benefit. Well, okay. So sorry, but that's not the way our system is supposed to work. You got to go out and prove to the people what you want, get elected. And then you can, you can put laws in place that you win the vote on in Congress and, and the rest of us just have to live with it. Well, and even if you think that too much power is resting in the judge's hands and you think that judges are, uh, aren't accountable enough because some appointments obviously are for significant periods of time, if not for life, um, in the case of the Supreme Court in particular, there's more accountability there than there is in nameless bureaucrats. Uh, so yeah. as we saw during recent hot, you know, hot button cases, you know, if, the, if people don't like what the Supreme Court's saying, they'll show up at their houses, breaking federal law, mind you, to do so. But uh, they, they will, they will, those judges do have to answer it to a way that any bureaucrat who's making law on the fly won't have to do. And there is a place, there's always gray areas. There's a place for judges to interpret laws. There's a place for uh, Congress to make the, make the laws, but in nowhere, nowhere in the intent of our system was, were nameless bureaucrats supposed to be the ones making policy. It's very simple. Congress makes laws. Um, The agencies as, as organized by the executive, the president, you know, carry out the laws, if you will. And the judge and the and the judicial branch interprets laws when there's a dispute. Simple. Well, that, yeah, pretty that, that, that's going to close down the Chevron def- deference segment of today's show, and yeah. we're going to move on to an investing topic. This one should be evergreen because we're going to talk talk about two keys, two things Jerry looks for in a good investment. That's it. Two. That's it. Not three. Well, not four. I asked him to think of four. He was like, I can't think of four. I've only got two qualities to look for. You get these right, and you have a good chance for success. Nothing is certain, and uh, 
and obviously, if you don't, aren't patient enough and your time frame is too short, then then you're really getting into dicey areas. But Jerry, we got two items that we're looking for for investment success, qualities in a good company. What are they? Well-managed companies in front of fertile fields of growth. That's it. Okay, segment's done. Number two. <laughs> All right. The hard part is where you, you try and figure out what those are. Yes. They, who are those well-managed companies and are they in front of fertile fields of future growth? Well, first of all, maybe we can start with the well-managed companies. Well, maybe well, good management is like um, good acting. It's tough to define, but you know bad acting when you see it. So that's a good that's a good one. I I'm I'm not sure I would I'm not sure I would hang my hat completely on that by any means. Uh, that may be a good place to start. Yeah, but because we what, certainly we certainly know. Unfortunately, a lot of times it's after the fact. And you know, as as Dick Taylor used to say, our my mentor, uh, it's part of the reason we own you know forty fifty companies. Oh, can it, I finish this? Shall I listen? Say again. I'm sorry. Can I finish this? Because I, to oh. show I listen to my friend and employer. It's because you never know when someone's lying to you. Exactly. Yeah. So you got it. So, but the better that you get at, at looking into people's eyes and trying to determine whether they're honorable people, and that that's really what we're looking for when we're um, making investments. And you know, some of the greatest venture capital investors I've ever come across have said they know within five minutes whether they're going to give a company money based on the people that they're talking to, and that's. <laughs> That's really amazing. So it tells me that a lot, the, the great successful venture investors have been able to determine someone's validity as a manager really quickly. Um, I think that's generally the case, but I'm not willing to quite go that far because I think, you know, especially when you're talking on venture capital side, which we've been on, of course, as you know, um, you know sometimes you get these entrepreneurs that are, yeah. I hate not, not to offend anybody, but they might be a little bit geeky and it's a little hard to, to tell they're brilliant, you know, and it's a little hard to tell necessarily right off the bat. Um, you know, I, I, especially in, in startup in the startup world, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to sell somebody short because they may not be the greatest, most polished, most savvy communicator. Cause sometimes they're the most brilliant people. Now, often those people will, will if they're very smart, will, find a partner that can communicate really well. And, and oftentimes that's on the, from the business side of, of the equation. And, and usually our good communicators, honorable people, you know, that whole thing, um, you know, those are, that, and that's a, that's a, that's a bit of advice to young entrepreneurs getting started that are, that are brilliant technicians, but may not be the greatest communicators in the world. Find somebody that can be, that you trust, that is honorable, that is a good person that knows how to knows business, understands their way around a balance sheet and income statement <clears throat> and can help you. But we digress. Uh, well-managed companies. Uh, the character is number one. Absolutely. I mean, what most problems you have, I mean, if somebody's going to lie to you, obviously um, they're of low character. Uh, it, it, your ability to be able to look into somebody's eyes as a manager and, and, kind of sense, you know, is this somebody that I can, I, I feel I can trust that's telling me straight. Um, you know, that's a, that's an art that not everybody has. Um, but it's, it, it's not something that you can teach. It's just a feel. And I think that's, uh, again, like I said, many great 
the great venture investors will have said, you know, they know in five minutes. I would say that's probably true of most investors, successful investors who do evaluate for long-term investment. And I mean, long-term, you know, 10, 20 years is short-term, you know, long-term is much longer. Um, you, st- you just start to develop the ability to say, you know, that this is a real guy or, you know, what? I don't trust this guy. And um, there, there's, there's sliminess here that, I, you know, usually I can, that I feel like I can pick that out right away or, or in, we've, we've become more adept at over the decades. So yeah, well-managed companies. Well, something I would say to that also is it's not just that they'll lie to you. If you catch them lying to someone else, they're going to lie to you too. So oh, don't, fall, don't fall for that trick. That's only, yeah. it's only a matter of time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So well-managed companies, is there any other technical aspect you can think of management that really, really matters? Obviously well, the character is one thing. The equation, because you can have somebody that's just a really good guy, but is incompetent in the yeah. sense that, you know, they don't, they don't know how to run the nuts and bolts. Uh, most public company, I mean, by the time somebody gets to the point where they're running a public company, they're pretty adept at the competency of running, of, of running the nuts and bolts and, 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 you know, um, sort of the, the, the technical side of being a manager. Um, and, and I think that, you know, frankly, people that are adept at that are not that hard to find. And, and generally speaking, well, I, I just said, you know, you can have somebody that's of high character, they're a good person, but they're just not very, you know, they're not, they're not particularly good at managing the, the nuts and bolts. Most often though, again, when you find somebody that has the motivation to want to be in business and they're of high quality character, they're probably pretty sharp people that are also competent in the running in the nuts and bolts side of it. At least that's been my experience. Um, now there, there have been times, and this is not to say that you have to be, and I, and I think this is really important. You don't have to be buddies with these guys, right? I mean, it, and I want to be careful about, you know, that it's all a litmus test of, uh, hey, this is a guy I want to go have a beer with or whatever. Um, no, but it should be a guy that you say, this is a guy I want running my company or a gal, you know, just to be 21st century. Um, yeah, I, but that, I think that is an important point to make that, you can have somebody that, you know, maybe, maybe they're, you know, their interests are different from a personal standpoint or they're just person, you know, personally not, you know, it's not a guy I'm going to go out and play golf with necessarily, but that doesn't mean they're not excellent managers. So you have to go in there, not with the idea that I'm going to try and make friends with this guy. You have to go in there with the idea of what, you know, what's your criteria? What, what are you looking for to, to measure character? What are you looking for to measure, you know, Technical capability as far, and I don't mean technical like the technician that make you know, is necessarily the inventor. Although with smaller companies, that's often the same. And when you get the unusual circumstance, and they're out there, where they're <clears throat> a particularly strong technician from like the engineering standpoint, if you will, uh, and they're the innovator, and they're also a, a high character and good at nuts and bolts business. You know that that's a that's a great combination and. Uh, not common, frankly. Um, and in fact, most, again, as you get to be a public company and be, and beyond, like even a seasoned public company, more so a seasoned public company. Yeah. Again, you're generally going to have people that are nuts and bolts. Okay. Um, and you, uh, now I also want to mention that when you're talking about management, 
Another thing that we take very, and this is a company, uh, well, it's private and public company, but more so public. We want to know who's on the board and who, where, what they're all about, and where they come from, and what do we know them? Do we know people that know them? Do we, you know, because they're the ones that are making the decision. They're the closest to the company, and they're the ones that are making decisions on on management. Um, you know, the CEO is hired by the board, so and fired by the board. Uh, so, the, yeah, there's there's multiple aspects. That's why you know I say, well, what are four things when you ask me the question? I say, well, four things. Well, I, I probably have four hundred things, but they all stem from those first two well-managed companies, fertile fields of future growth. And and worst YouTube video title of all time: the four hundred things you need for investment success. Exactly. So it, it's much easier to break it down to two. Uh, I would say we probably needed a separate podcast to do fertile fields of growth because that's in and of itself. We, we it's a whole podcast. So we should come back to that. We'll, go, we just, we, we'll come back to it. Maybe the answer the two, the two things, the two things. And we touched on, it, it took us a, a podcast to do one. We'll do another podcast. That's the second part of that. Gotcha. Well, with fertile fields of future growth, you're talking about basically the potential of the market though, right? I mean, that's the concept we're going to, we're going to have to get, get yeah, into it. You got deeper into that. Yep. That gets right. into narratives and, and all of that. All right. Jerry's got a lunch. He's going to try to save the state of Arizona. Uh, so we're going to let him go. And in the meantime, please follow us on Instagram, taylorforgotten.invest, and our website, taylorforgotten.com. Of course, you can email the show, long only, at taylorforgotten.com. If you have any questions you want to know about our, our firm, our fund, please email us. Give us a call. Until next week, I'm Doug. I'm Jerry. And thanks for joining us on the Long Only Podcast. <laughs>